0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another week of concessions with Jared, myself, and a very special guest, Jackson Brown. This week, we are digging into the vault once again for a uh, bit of a sillier episode that we recorded a few months back in April. Uh, As we make it uh, maybe overly abundantly clear during the episode, the time of recording was April 20th, so 420. So we celebrated by, uh, you know, indulging in more than just a drink this time. Uh, and digging into something that, at least at the time, while still working in corporate America, something that me, Jared, and Jackson can all speak to, which is the drudgeries of the corporate world, particularly with the film Office Space. This is an interesting one for me to go back to, because now that I'm out of the corporate world, I'm sort of taking on the arc of this film a little bit in my own way. So listening to me you know, four or five months ago talking about that. And then now I'm actually in the middle of doing it. It was kind of a fun little time capsule. If you've been enjoying what we do so far, as always, please feel free to drop a like, review, follow on the podcast, wherever you do your listening. You can find me on X at Dan Concedes and Jared could be found at Threads at Jared Concessions. A shout out day keeps the case of the Mondays away as they say as always thank you so much for spending some time with us and we hope you enjoy our chat as we discuss 1999's off the streets
1: monkey ass drop and let your homies know who run it cuz when it comes to this gangster shit you motherfuckers know who run it
0: yeah, I'm Dan, and this is concessions. And uh, yeah, we brought in an outside consultant to uh, join us for this episode. To uh, yeah, check this uh, this year pod for efficiencies. You want to uh, chime in there, chap?
2: Yeah, I will be uh, cleaning house. My name is Jackson, like the singer, Jackson as in Brown. Brown. jackson brown
3: whoa do you just love jackson brown's music
2: you know i kind of like all of his stuff
3: that's amazing this is jared by the way and i won't be here for very much longer i think i'm getting laid off (laughs) from this gig because uh i haven't been uh i haven't been crunching the numbers the way i used to
2: not
0: enough honestly your reports on the outlines used to
3: be much better yeah, and uh, since it it's no longer you know about to be the turn of a, a millennium, my my job is just obsolete now.
2: You forgot to <laughs> include the cover letter on the outline.
0: Yeah, I, and I got the memo. It's right here.
3: We're we're already loving this movie. Um, yeah.
0: Also, with the uh, you you titled it Office Space Outline. The Office and the Space was capitalized. Outline wasn't. I'm pretty sure we had a conversation about this last quarter that like. <laughs> all first words need to be capitalized just i don't know if you got that hey. that memo or not <laughs> hey dan uh <laughs> well the the movie that we're talking
3: about is still a mystery <laughs> <laughs> what are you uh
0: what are you consuming uh interestingly vague question there jared uh, yeah well, for- what I'm drinking is uh, it's a nice little local brew. We call it from Brewery X. It's called a Slap and Tickle. That is a West Coast IPA for you. Getting a little sexy here on a Thursday afternoon, and uh, even sexier for this uh, at date of recording. Uh, it is April 20th, where if you are living in the U.S. and you go by U.S. dating conventions, that is 4:20, um, which happens to be a, a holiday uh, of sorts among certain subcultures. And so with that, I've got this uh, funky uh, herbs. It's like some oregano of some sort in a little uh, pipe device. Uh, I don't know. Someone just said it would be some good seasoning to try out. Hey, Dan, Come why down. do
2: you need such a big bag of oregano for this podcast?
0: I just really love seasoning. You know, it's just uh, it's the spice of life, just like variety. There you go.
3: How about you, Jackson? What have, what have you got uh, on your on your desk
2: there? I have uh, I've got some Buffalo Trace mixed with a little Chico, a little whiskey soda. Yeah. I got three Zens in, Zen, you know, as one does. <laughs> uh, and I tried to take some edibles, but they were um, out of date, which you know kind of fucked me up because I tried to take them. I took a big ass one for at par four, and that shit didn't even hit, you know. <laughs> Whoa. or Avatar 2, sorry, Avatar um, you, 4 is uh, like 30. I mean it, it hits.
3: It hits so hard that you went into the <laughs>
2: fucking future.
3: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> too, I saw I saw free.
2: Avatar 4 the volcano one. Wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's the fight, the fire Na'vi. Yeah. They're pretty oh, sick honestly.
3: Where did they get this idea for a thing called Avatar about the four elements?
0: The world may never know.
2: They look um, kind of like Charizard.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: what, you, what you got over there, Jared? Well, so
3: you guys, you guys know know me, uh, Jackson. We, we met a few minutes ago. Dan, you've known me for a while. Uh, you know that I'm uh, uh, kind of an office drone myself. I work uh, in tech, like you guys, and uh, in a sales role. And so I got a lot of partners that just kind of send me swag. This week, one of them sent me this copper mug and another one sent me a gift card to uh rachel's ginger beer uh very famous seattle iconic ginger beer bar uh so i got myself a pineapple spicy pineapple ginger beer and uh, made myself a moscow mule with it and instead of lime uh this has 30 milligrams of thc
2: Oh, spicy indeed!
3: Yeah, but it's lime flavor. It's a lime flavored uh, kind of extract. So, it's very spicy, and uh, this is the most edible marijuana I've consumed in some time. So, we'll see how this goes this evening.
0: Which, uh, uh, for the for the the CIA agent that lives inside my laptop, uh, we are all in legal states consuming things that are very legal.
2: Yep. I'm allowed to get as blind drunk on a Thursday as I want. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, now
3: that we've got that out of the way, this is our, <laughs> what I hope to be our annual 420 episode, where we're going to get <laughs> high as a goddamn kite and uh, <laughs> wax poetic about something that, um, you know, might actually cause a little bit of introspection, being that all three of us are. Uh, little busy worker bees in the uh, in the tech industry are damn selves. Uh, this might this movie might strike a chord with us. But before we get to that film, Jackson, what was uh was something kind of noteworthy that you watched this week, or what was the best thing that you watched this week? You know,
2: I've been on a little bit of a dry spell. I've been uh, firing up some not as great movies. So we'll pivot over to to the wide world of television. Uh, the girlfriend and I have a girlfriend. No big deal. Oh, Um, wait,
0: hold on, everyone. Yeah. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Congratulations. I know.
2: For a tech worker, it's a big deal. (laughs) I have been uh, firing up Yellow Jacket season two. I've been really, really digging it. Um, Frodo Baggins himself made an appearance this week as a uh, nerdy trawler of the true crime Reddit boards (laughs) starting an intriguing romance with uh, Christina Ricci's. Bad shit, crazy characters. So for all you people out there who have a Showtime subscription, all six of you, Twin Peaks <laughs> The Return, definitely watch that and then uh, fire up uh, Yellow Jackets.
0: I happen to be one of those six people that has uh, Paramount Plus. So maybe I'll uh, give it a look-see. It's uh, on Showtime, dumbass. Wait, it's on show- oh, Showtime. Oh, but I watched Twin Peaks on Paramount Plus. Is it on multiple spots? There's, or
3: there's so much fucking incest in the streaming man, wars at this
2: point. Yeah, um, we could go we could go like 55 minutes on the streaming wars. Fucking uh Max is now or HBO Max is now just Max. Just Max?
0: Yeah, you I know, don't even know what that means. Right? What,
3: well, it, it's you know, when you think of HBO and Discovery, all the brand recognition is in the word Max.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do think like man you know why? Like I, I've been saying that for years. Like, oh, throw it on HBO. It's like throw it on the Max, dude. Cool guys. Uh, that's what we all say to each other.
2: Yeah, let's yeah. fire up Chip and Joanna and then follow it up with The Sopranos <laughs>
0: <laughs> on the Max. On the Max. Um, but what? Is, what if two movies? That they, uh, yeah, we'll go with uh, the more serious one while I still have all my brain cells left. Is uh, Killer of Sheep, where? With the new sight and sound list that came out, I've been trying to knock off the ones in this list that I hadn't seen. Uh, Killer of Sheep, Killer of Sheep's one of them uh, from 1978, directed by uh, Charles Burnett. Never heard of the guy, um, but after watching it, I think it was on Canopy. Like I had to kind of dig in one of the the more uh, out of left field uh, streaming services to find this one. But um, I think the best way to describe it, it's like if, James Baldwin was a director and lived out in LA instead of New York. This is the kind of stuff he'd be making. And it is, I really love James Baldwin. So I really loved that. It was really good. Uh, surprisingly short, but pretty jam packed with, uh, well, it's like a slow, quiet film, but like there's a lot going on in every frame.
2: Yeah, I think it's on Criterion as well. Not that oh, One has Criterion, but it was at one point. But uh, public
3: service announcement. If, uh any of the few of you who are listening ever uh, don't have it yet, you should look into Canopy. Most most public library systems that I've encountered uh, come with a free subscription to Canopy, and Canopy is just packed to the gills. Oh, it's absurd. Movies. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think Cure, which we were discussing earlier in the chat, for those of us who want to crawl under your skin type movie, is also... Ooh,
3: yeah cure cure is on canopy
0: i think i think so so. oh perfect
3: okay well there we go mystery is solved on that one i'm i'm really looking forward to that that's one of the
0: mystery has only begun it's a banger
3: with cure i um have always been a a horror fiend since a child since i was a kid in my teen years uh i dove really really deep and that was always one that I intended to watch and just never, ever, ever did. Even though I've been told to so many times in the, over the last twenty years,
0: it'll give you a similar ick as Skinmarink. I mean, they're they're Perfect. hyping or they're harping on like different kinds of fears, but just that sense of like weird gnawing dread.
2: Yeah, Cure and Pulse are both definitely Pulse like. Is good. There's nothing necessarily in the film that's like actually terrifying in terms of like jump scares. But it'll definitely, definitely crawl under your skin. You'll you'll be thinking about it when you go to bed at night, which is is the mark of a good horror film in my opinion.
3: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm a fan of Pulse for sure. Um, And yeah, I when it comes to horror films, you know, I I try to make one of my main criteria just was it scary and how scary was it? I assume that the vast majority of horror filmmakers set out to make something scary and uh if it really crawls in deep then that is successful as hell so skinnerrick was a was a, so far my favorite movie this year that's a five out of five no question Ooh. about it for me Awful time yeah
0: yeah well, yeah you know what's similar to horror in that vein is a uh, comedy jared uh, yeah yeah you know when the, someone that makes that a uh I, I think they're seeking to make one laugh. So the uh, the standard should be how much do you chuckle at it? And and like horror, what scares you and what makes you laugh? That's subjective there.
3: Yep, we'll get far into that. Um the best thing that I watched this week was one of Dan's recommendations last week. That was how to blow up a pipeline. Oh yeah. Uh wow, that movie kicks ass. Um, <laughs> particularly as counter-programming for first reformed as Dan suggested. When we talked about first reform last week, we spoke at great length about whether or not it's appropriate, or maybe even is it responsible for an elderly person to make a movie that calls to be you know very fatalistic about the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. And I I thought well, that's pretty shitty for a guy who's about to die to tell everyone <laughs> to just give up. So I hate that movie <laughs> a lot. Conversely, how to blow up a pipeline is the exact opposite and it's unabashed in its uh point of view that it would be a good thing to sabotage these pipelines <laughs> and um and i uh, it was really refreshing in comparison to first reform but also it's just a fantastic thriller like it's it's just pedal to the metal just really singular vision here's the thing that we're trying to do let's just like make a full-on pot boiler. like just uh just kind of driving towards like whether or not they're going to pull this thing off kind of reminded me a little bit of reservoir dogs in a way Mm. with just the way that it was kind of constructed a little bit Rashomon style. Um, And that movie's really good.
0: It's very, it it flies by. Yeah. Now that you mentioned it, that is a kind of a, it's amazing how simple it is because it's like tackling some pretty complicated things, but it's on the surface, just like a cool, fun, well-executed
3: thriller. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, I I think it is because they don't really get bogged down in the morality. Like no one, no one really questions if what they're doing is moral or not. They, they just, they're, they have their convictions and they stick with them and none of the characters, you know, disagree on, on the main topic of the movie. Uh, so yeah, they just focus on the thriller aspects and
0: it's, uh, it's better for it. Well, I can't wait for the How to Blow Up a Pipeline cinematic universe, where we follow all those characters, they get origin stories beforehand about what radicalized them, and they have spinoffs, and we have about 42 extra blown-up Pipeline movies. Yeah, I'm here those, for are, it. those
2: will keep selling. <laughs> yeah, I'll make, that's one that I'm definitely excited to check out. It hit it just hit the um, Nashville Art House the Year last weekend, so I'll be checking that one out shortly.
3: Awesome. Well, without further ado, uh, if you haven't figured it out yet by the title of the podcast that you clicked on, uh, and what we've already alluded to, we're talking about Mike Judge's Office Space from nineteen ninety nine, uh, written and directed by Mike Judge, it stars Ron Livingston, Jennifer Aniston uh, in kind of the lead roles, along with Dave Herman, who was on In Living Color, or excuse me, Mad TV, right before he uh, he spectacularly quit that job to be in this movie. Um, It also has Steven Root and Gary Cole in, uh, in, you know, pretty major roles. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about our history with this movie, because all three of us had seen this before preparing to have this conversation. Um, Jackson, like what was your first encounter with office space and kind of what was your overall kind of sense of it um, before we
2: asked you to come on tonight? Yeah, so actually, the first time I ever heard of Office Space, I was in a church youth group and we were going <laughs> around as one of those like icebreaker type deals. Like, what's your favorite movie? I probably said, like, The Seventh Seal, you know, like a least like me. <laughs> and uh, some dude who well, I'm sure was all of like fucking 14 said Office Space. And I was like, what is office space? And now having seen the movie, I have no clue why a 14-year-old would find that shit <laughs> funny at all. Like, there's <laughs> there's literally nothing in there that's remotely relatable. I watched it probably for the first time when I was like... I think I was in college, so I was probably like 20, maybe 21. Um, I thought it was I thought it was pretty funny. There's some stuff in there that we'll, I'm sure we'll get into later that I like. The printer scene's funny. The scene of the beginning with the traffic eminently relatable. The guy rolling up his window. Um when the when the actual in real life African American walks by while he's bumping in WA. Like that's <laughs> every corporate bro. But um Yeah, it was one it's kind of one of those like nineties classics that a lot of people talked about that I saw and I enjoyed, but I wasn't super impressed by like I guess Friday would fall in that category too. Um, it's one you hear quoted a lot. Yeah, it's kind of kind of my experience.
0: How about you, Dan? Um, mine's not too too far off from his, other than the youth group introduction. Well, um, it was one of those movies that like you always saw it on Comedy Central growing up. Yeah, uh, I was yeah. on Washington Central, yeah. so I couldn't put on the Naughty Channel where they tell the bad jokes. Uh, so I think I finally saw it similar to Jackson. And you know, I'd I'd seen like even during the age of like Facebook being the only social media site, like you saw proto memes of it popping around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like kind of aware of the references. So by the time I got around to it in college, I knew this was like, oh, this is like a big comedy, like something that I need to know about. Like, I don't know, like the first time you put on like Blazing Saddles or something. Um, Not funnier movie. Yeah. Much, <laughs> much, much. And yeah, it was kind of the same as Jackson, where it's like, there were some jokes in there that like I just straight didn't understand because they were just talking corporate speak. And I was a humanities major, so I didn't, I barely knew what a debit or credit credit was. So a lot of it was like, this feels really relatable and I can see why people are latched onto this. But, like, I'm not really part of the world. I'm kind of on the outside looking in. And uh, actually me and uh, Jackson joked about this when we used to work the same corporate job together. I think we made that joke where it's like I don't know if I can watch Office Space anymore. It might, you know, cut too close to the bone, or the the satire might be too intense. So actually, watching it the other day is the first time I've watched it since I have uh, experienced life in a cubicle, and uh, I survived. And also, fun tidbit
2: is Mike Judge based it on us. The writer director, as we mentioned, based it on a summer he spent interning for Dell. Um, in Round Rock, Texas, where their headquarters is, which was the owners of the company that Dan and I worked for
0: together. Yep, it was very Dell cult. Like, yeah, and, and I did wonder, like, what there are parts of that where it's like, is this general office culture or is this just something Dell cooked up? Interesting. I want to hear more about that for
3: sure. So we're gonna we're gonna talk at length if we think this is how like if this is an accurate depiction or at least uh, what we. Uh, to our to the best of our knowledge, what would have what would have been a kind of accurate depiction of you know office culture at the time. I saw this movie I want to say also in college, um, freshman sophomore year maybe, uh, after having been aware of it, probably since shortly after it's um after its release. And I was a big fan of King of the Hill and Beavis and Butthead. So I think it was probably just just like, oh. Mike judge made a movie movie I'm gonna check it out. And like, and you know, have, having heard from friends that it was good here and there. And I remember loving it, like and watching it several times back then, um, and quoting it a lot, you know, tray three load letter. What the fuck does that mean? Just like, the, you know, them beating the shit out of the printer. Um, as you mentioned, um, what I think is the funniest line in this movie, and actually I think it's funnier than any of any, even like the situations in this movie. Um, I love it when, when Peter is in the car with um, Jennifer Aniston's character, Joanna, and they're talking about how much she hates her job at the chain restaurants where she works, where she has to wear all the pieces of flair. She she's sick of wearing flair and Peter says, you know the, the Nazis like made the Jews wear a flare. <laughs> Look.
2: That's a good one. That
3: yeah, good one. and uh, that that was my uh, like I I've thought until the past couple days that I love this movie, and uh, now, well, I, I'm not not as uh, not as jazzed about it as I once was. Put it that way. Dan, what? How about you? What are your overall thoughts? Like, do
0: you like this movie? Why do you not like it? Why do you like it? Yeah, we're. I think we're gonna fall in this rare category of the the anti Office Space pod because yeah, I, th- I mean, upon a rewatch and like now that I've like been in that world, I was like, yeah, I mean, I suppose it's supposed to be kind of funny. Um, like if I didn't know it was a classic and I threw it on for the first time, I just would have watched it and kind of forgotten about it. I think it lands in like. You know it's in that weird wave in like nine the late 90s uh with all those like all those movies kind of all about you know like white collar malaise just kind of like piled on top of each other and so it's like it's impossible to deny its influence and how other things have kind of picked up where it left off so it's like kind of one of the first ones to really forge out in this particular direction but yeah like i think it's mostly the ending i had the problem with that kind of it, I don't know. It just feels funny. It feels odd. It feels like a different movie. It feels tacked on. Uh, kind of doesn't do it for me at that point. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. I
3: My main problem with this movie is, I think, is like this sharp, sharp turn from the, the plot line it really starts with and really starts to flesh out and starts to go somewhere. It kind of takes a left turn and it, it turns into this uh, kind of just like this white-collar heist. turns into like this caper where they're embezzling money from uh from the company so like something can go wrong and and drive the plot and uh it really really loses me from there on it just becomes so uh it's kind
2: of paint by numbers i think Mm. yeah i mean i'm not gonna lie like Structurally, like a comedy doesn't have to be all that sound. We just mentioned Blazing saddles, you know, and that's a movie that's basically just an extended series of bits, but is fucking hilarious. Or you know, you can have like a fish called Wanda, which is one of my favorite comedies of all time, which is has a pretty tight plot, but is just start to finish hilarious. And I mean, like as a as a corporate drone as we all are, I, I don't really feel like office space really nailed it. You know, like, there's a couple funny bits. And granted, I did work in an office for, like, I don't know, year and a half, two years before getting sent home due to COVID, uh, as many of us did. So maybe I don't have quite as much experience. But I think I agree that once it starts to go into the embezzlement plot, it's not, not that funny. And I think the, the start of the film is definitely stronger, but it's still... It's more of a, a chuckle every few minutes than it is a laugh out loud movie and I think you kind of have to stick the comedy element if you're not going to be teeth out with the satire. So yeah, I'm 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 not going to lie. I'd, I'd seen it before and I got about an hour into it this time before I turned it off to watch a mediocre 76ers Brooklyn Nets playoff game. And <laughs> I got I got no regrets about that. So not a super successful movie for me.
0: So I guess that uh, that is kind of a the central question. I think that's my problem too. Is yeah, the the way it concludes, like it kind of undercuts its own satire. for like the satire at the beginning is pretty good, and it seems like it's leading somewhere. But when it's like time for the satire to really kind of make a statement, it goes pretty toothless. Yeah,
3: like it is kind. He kind of just pieces out, right? Like he. um uh, the like highly romanticized blue collar job that his buddy had been uh, you know, kind of putting in his ear through the whole movie. He just kind of, kind of submits to to that. Like where he he might be, you know, just as caught in in the monotony and or the uh, you know, just kind of the gears of the system that wants to chew him up and spit him out. Like nothing's really changed for any of them. Like his buddies just end up at another kind of just boilerplate you know
0: nameless tech company right yeah why is why is you know super tech going to be any different than in a tech? like they're just going to be doing yeah. the same thing again right <laughs> yeah and I, I
3: think i have to agree that it, it really just isn't laugh out loud funny you know there there's like some really really kick-ass performances though mm-hmm. um <laughs> like stephen root as milton uh <laughs> it's just like yeah Perfect, especially if you've seen Steven Root and other things and you realize he's not, you know, that similar <laughs> to the character um, Gary Cole is just like iconic, right? Like Danny were already doing the voice earlier mm-hmm. like it's so like like everyone who's seen this movie has you know, their Lumberg impression because Gary Cole's performance is just so spot-on and lived in but the other actors who like don't have those like very kind of specifically defined kind of larger than life outlandish characters. I call the straight, straight actors. Like they, they don't really like bring much, uh, like kind of push up against those like very kind of outlandish kind of characters. Like Ron Livingston, like he's, he's not a a comedy actor. Like he's not a comedian. Like he hasn't really done comedy since, uh, which I think is probably for the best. (laughs) <laughs> he's pretty much just been in dramas before and since this movie, um, and uh, yeah, he, he kind of seems like he's not like bringing a lot to it. You know, uh, David Herman who plays Michael Bolton and uh, uh, Ajay Naidu who plays Samir. They're like a little bit more kind of like in that in the style, like a little bit more animated and like uh, a little bit more it's kind of you know full like as far as like the character choices, but. Yeah, like like Peter just doesn't do it for me as a lead character, really. And like Jennifer Aniston, like she's affable as always, but she's not really, she's not given much of anything to do, right? Yeah, I think I think that's that's really like my line in the sand. Is this movie doesn't really make me laugh very much?
0: <laughs>
1: Which yeah, you kind
3: of want in a comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do, and but I want to think I want to really dive into why that is though like i have a uh a theory as to why
0: as to why it isn't funny
3: yeah as to, as to like why it, it doesn't have the sort of like insight that you know for, uh, for a satire to have to really really fly and like why I, I assume that if we none of us find it funny that the situations don't like ring true to to life like that's my assumption and uh i'm wondering if you guys agree with that like
0: well and And that's what i was caught wondering myself is um like jackson said like i didn't work in an office too much longer he did and a lot of the the stuff like the the satire related to is like that was that's what it was like in an office and a lot of that went away when i worked from started working from home so i'm wondering if like corporate satires just don't land in the age of work from home quite as well
2: I mean, I think that's possible. I do agree with Jared that a lot of the uh, situations that the characters are put in seem ridiculous. Like, I guess probably, I mean, I know we're not on the rewatchables, but probably like the the most rewatchable funniest scene is the the destruction of the printer, which I guess we probably all had our own run-ins with certain office equipment that we hated. But, I mean, I guess kind of the central thing of, like, Peter getting the hypnosis and then hating his job and not working and then getting identified as management potential, that's supposed to indict the corporate culture for rewarding the wrong things. But it it lands totally hollowly for me. Like, it, it, I mean, I'm, we've all, I'm sure, been part of those performance reviews type of shit. And in no way would anyone have ever responded like that. Like, I don't know if that's supposed to be like some absurdist humor that just doesn't really work for me. But like, the idea that the Bobs wouldn't immediately recommend that he get fired for having that attitude is is alien to every corporate experience I've ever had.
0: Yeah, it is kind of funny the moments when they decide to like go into hyperbole or the absurd. Because for them like, I'd say for a vast majority of the movie, it's. Seems like it's supposed to be played straight up. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden that bit's put in there. Well, and the hypnosis bit is, you know, a little bit fantastical as well, I suppose. Yeah. I it's also
2: interesting. Uh did did Jordo, old Jordo Peel steal the the hypnosis bit from this movie for his his teacup rattling and get out.
3: Oh. Uh you know, I don't uh, other than them being you know, both being hypnosis, is it? Do they? Is it performed the same well, way? Like, is there? Yeah. A so, what would we'll get
0: out look like if he uh, didn't quite get fully hypnotized, but it was only most of the way there and get out? <laughs> yeah. What if Catherine Keener just like, yeah,
3: just died halfway through trying to hypnotize Daniel Kaluuya? I'm watching that makes this movie. The
2: movie a lot shorter. but yeah Uh, it's it's certainly nowhere near as menacing in office space despite the fact that someone actually dies
0: well that's Uh, the weird thing about the the function of like hypnosis in the movie is like okay so he like it seems pretty clear from the first few scenes he's like mostly hypnotized and that's the joke is that like his brain has been mostly shut off but then like 15 20 minutes later it's like ah just eh, throw that one away he's just aloof never mind yeah, he kind of
3: I, I guess he just maybe just slowly snaps out of it and we yeah. it's gradual and it's the movie doesn't make a big deal out of it. But I it, it did feel like they just didn't address it at all once he found out his buddies were getting laid off and he he has the brilliant idea to take up Michael Bolton on his uh, virus to uh, install on their server and to start siphoning fractions of a of a penny per transaction away from the company. Do these bullshit jobs exist though like like I I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that they do though that like there are there are roles where it's amazing it hasn't been automated out yet or like where your goals or like you know your the the way your performance is measured is so
0: like abstract that people do just kind of like, like what was uh Go. what was the one with the guy that they did lay off where it's like I brokered the relationship between the yeah. customers and the developers, yeah yeah that that, that Tom, Tom character yeah, it yeah was um but yeah I mean it seems like it was the case back then and they were they were expressing that and like you you know those jobs exist today like I know plenty of people that like they, they all, but say like, yeah, I really don't do much all day. It's great. Uh, I have to like, keep up, you know, the social media page or something like that. Um, actually, I don't know if you guys saw this, it was like, I don't know, a couple months ago where it was some, like a day in the life of a LinkedIn marketing girl. And like, it was like a three minute video and you never actually saw her work. She was like playing ping pong and doing yoga and getting like a juice box or something all in the office
2: yeah I mean we got a guy in my company who is his job is sales coach which means he posts <laughs> like three paragraph long things on slack about like what we should do in like links podcasts and he probably gets paid like a hundred and twenty five thousand dollars a year <laughs> So, like those bullshit jobs definitely exist and I do think like in some ways they took it to the extreme with, like, um, you know, Peter's character, like, literally his whole job is to find code that's been coded wrong for Y2K, you know? So, like, maybe that's a little bit of an extreme, but, you know, that's the prerogative of satire. Um, has, so to, to circle back to
3: Dan's question, like, has work from home exacerbated the bullshit job uh, market <laughs> like are there more of those bullshit jobs now and like have, have more of those jobs become bullshit jobs or uh, has work from them actually done the opposite and shined a light on on any roles that are maybe not exactly necessary
0: well that's interesting especially now we're in the middle of all these like huge tech layoffs. So uh, companies are finding, you know, all of a sudden this big uh, employee count that they've been holding or bolstering up, like they can lay off like 30% of them and still be totally fine, which I think kind of speaks to uh, how many perhaps unnecessary jobs exist out there.
2: Yeah, I would definitely tend to agree with that. I think it's, it's sort of illuminated the roles that are unnecessary and also the amount of time. Is unnecessary. I imagine a lot of us probably working from home are working like three, four hours a day and still getting the same amount of productivity done. So I would think that the inefficiencies have probably been highlighted more by work from home than it being like, Oh, actually we do need all these roles.
0: But like could could like a manager like, if you had a boss like the office space boss, how would they, you know, get their fucking rocks off like oppressing you via Slack? They try. They do. I've worked <laughs> places where they, yeah, you see them fill that gap pretty quick where, you know, it's like nine o'clock or 9.05 and my little green light isn't on on Slack and I'll get a text like, hey man, how you doing? You doing all yeah. right, buddy? Uh, yeah. Lundberg would be <laughs> far far more
3: exhausting now <laughs> with all just how many different channels of communication. Yeah. Oh, if uh, if they, you know, supplementing like your, uh, your income with a little like cell phone allowance, right. Uh, or, or anything like that. It's like, and you don't, uh, you don't, you're, you don't text back. Yeah. There's some, there's probably some Lumbergs out
0: there that would uh, really take advantage of being able to do that. Oh, my favorite, and um, it's actually, it was probably the bits I enjoyed more was because there are two jobs highlighted that I've done that both are bullshit, or, well, you have to deal with bullshit, which is, yeah, the corporate world and being a server at a restaurant and Mm. just having to love every second.
3: Oh, yeah.
0: What is your experience being a server at a restaurant?
2: If there's time to lean, there's time to clean.
0: (laughs) But it, it has that same ethos as, like, uh desk jobs too where it's like not only do you have do you have to be like always on your shit for this two dollar an hour job but what's most important is you have to love it you have to like you have to really believe in the mission of the taco bar you know and how they're trying to change the world or at least you know fake it for the customers so you get a decent tip
2: (laughs) you gotta wear 37 pieces of flair. What, you want to do the bare minimum and wear 15?
3: You know, I f- guarantee you that Jennifer Aniston is getting tips better than that other guy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yo, real talk, if I had that guy as my server, I would think he was so fucking annoying. Like, take <laughs> yeah. like, it down several notches, Brian. Like, get out of my face.
0: Sounds like someone's got a case of the
1: Mondays.
2: <laughs> oh my god. Ah, ah, here okay, ah. here, okay, here
3: is my number one gripe about the 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 comedy of this movie is man, he really really uses one thing as a crutch and that's this like repetition comedy mm-hmm. where like the third time you hear something that isn't funny to begin with, mm-hmm. you're supposed to think it's funnier now. Now that now that you've heard a totally different character who has no connection to, you know, the person at the beginning who says this sounds like someone's got a case of the Mondays. Now it's, now it's hilarious. Or like, I think my, my girlfriend's cheating on me. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. What? Hey, I think my girlfriend's cheating on me. Yeah, man. I think so too. And then like, <laughs> by the way, I'm cheating on you. Like, come on. Like, it's like <laughs> that, that, uh, it, it happens with like, Maybe every fifteenth or twentieth line gets repeated later on in the movie.
2: Yeah, that whole girlfriend storyline is is not paid off <laughs> at all. It's literally just her on the on the voicemail being like, "I'm cheating on you." I mean, I guess
0: she's the one that got him hypnotized.
3: Yeah, that's yeah, the that's only true. thing that actually moves the plot, though. Like, that couldn't be, it couldn't have been like introduced a different way. I don't know. Maybe sure. maybe Mike Judge is just going through a breakup and he just had to had to vent just a little bit.
2: That's fair. Res- respect Mike Judge.
4: <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> okay.
2: But.
3: okay, so one thing that that I I definitely wanted to touch on is uh this thing that happens where like very successful artists will make stories like this about like a more mundane existence or like a more menial job or just you know a a, a job type job like not writing screenplays and talking to, and like doing cartoon voices right mm-hmm. um like how how much do you guys kind of think about that like does that does that put a damper on your enjoyment of something like this kind of knowing that like the person who made it's life is like
0: utterly different and maybe they're a little detached from it, it- It depends on what the plot does, because then what would be particularly annoying is if, like, um, you know, Peter Gibbons was uh, a bit of an artist himself. Like, he kind of played a little bit of music on the side, and that was how he chased his dream, is he just decided to do art, and that works. And now he does gigs all the time, and he supports himself and Jennifer Aniston with his guitar, because that's how that, follow your dreams, kids, you're all going to make it says the one like the one in one thousand that actually can do that.
2: Yeah. I agree the August rush, like your August is like annoying as fuck. In this particular instance, it doesn't really bother me because I know Mike Judge spent six months a year working this job. So like I feel like that's enough to have have some ammunition there. Like I don't think you gotta be in the mines for like twenty years to be allowed to have some commentary on it. Um, I mean, but like if you take the people like as we mentioned earlier, Steven Spielberg, who's been directing movies since he's twenty one, you know, gets his start making duel, like he's not really taking on this type of story. So that doesn't that doesn't really bother me. I think if if the artist has a certain type of experience with it, it's it's all good. And and frankly, the vast majority do. They worked a bartending gig. They work some sort of corporate mm-hmm. gig. There's very few people who have the Steven Spielberg career trajectory where they start directing at 21. And that's <laughs> all they do for the next 50 years of their life.
0: Well, that's why, I mean, that's why Jackson took this job in the first place. He's doing method acting so that he can play. Uh, he's actually going to be a famous actor soon. He's just being able to get into the part of a worker drone for his yeah. first big role.
2: My office space reboot is coming soon to Peacock. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So
3: work from home. I think both of you guys wanted to talk about like the use of hip hop in this movie. And uh, like, we talked about this a little bit here and there. And, uh, and I know, you know both of you have kind of different experiences with hip hop. It seems like from, uh, from the, the earlier chat, but Dan was that was that more was that you who
0: who like really wanted to to touch on this? Um I think we both did. Um I mean the main thing there there's two bits I think are interesting about uh the use of hip hop in a dorky, you know, white working or white collar job is that uh one there's like this long tradition at least with in It's more in literature. I mean, you see a pop-up movies, too, where it's the transition of, you know, the economy from an industrial economy to more of a service economy. So most men, instead of working out with their hands out on the field or in the factories and shit, now they're, you know, in a suit and tie in an office, like, buttoned up and kind of enclosed in. And there there are a lot of stories that talk about how that's, like, emasculating. So uh, you could update that to 1999. You got this, uh, the Michael Bolton character who is quite like, he's clearly not, uh, if, if it was 2023, he would not be what you call uh, the Chad.
2: Sigma like, male for sure.
0: <laughs> he has some Sigma energy, that's for sure. Um, but that's like, that's like a way for him to try to, because he feels emasculated. He, he tries to consume things that are hyper masculine to his perception, which would be like, you know, NWA. So I think that's part of it, and the other part I think that's interesting is like, you know, hip hop is technically like lower working class music, and it's try- like kind of tying itself to white collar, still working class music, and showing how there is a bridge between these two experiences. Do you think yeah. that was the intention, or is it more is it more
3: like the contrast? Like, is it more just ha ha like, white like, listen like, black? Well. <laughs> I mean yeah, I kind of get that vibe like I don't I don't feel like it's really that's really explored like beyond just like the, that first scene that that Jackson was already describing where the the guy that kind of walks by the car and Michael Bolton turns it way down and kind of like slinks makes himself really small in his car seat until uh, the guy's you know out of earshot and he like blasts it again. Um, yeah, if I, to me it definitely feels more like, just like the contrast of like, hey, look at this nerdy white guy. He like he likes rap and he like really goes for it too. It doesn't get any less hip hop than Michael Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> like I they did it. Oh, go ahead, Jackson. Sorry.
2: Uh, yeah. I do think it's interesting that Dan described black music is, is lower working class music. So you know, that's some that's something to, to keep an eye on. I mean, I think it's definitely the contrast of, like, this nerdy white guy trying to pump himself up with with hip-hop. It's even kind of zeroed in on by the fact that he's got, like, a gang star poster in his cubicle (laughs) and and a Navy SEAL poster in his cubicle. So, dude is definitely feeling a little emasculated. I think it's also a little bit, like, so probably, like, around the 80s when there's the big controversy over NWA, like rap music is starting to take over is like the new punk rock and so there's a little bit of that like sort of trying to be rebellious while still transgressive in, yeah while still being in your like very you, you know basic ass job you know it's like the accountant who who bangs out to like rage against the machine or whatever so I, I think there's that element as well but I think I think it's I don't really think the movie's sharp enough to to do like a kind of really solid satire with it. I think it's just more kind of kind of the nerdy white dude rocking out to hip hop. And honestly, I just think the needle drops in the movie are some of the best parts in the movie. It's it's got a bunch of like 90s bangers on the soundtrack, which I just appreciate.
3: Yeah, and besides that first scene in the car the the rest of the the like hip-hop in the movie it is just needle drops right like it's just it's not diegetic music that's like happening in the scene itself like besides that first scene i think so, like, that's did, the
2: only diegetic drop in the mu- movie yeah, yeah yeah
3: so so there isn't really much of an attempt to actually kind of call attention to it with it like in the context of the story besides that that first scene so mm-hmm. yeah like, i i it, they don't make much of an attempt at all to like actually kind of um kind of elevate the satire you using the hip-hop in the movie but i do agree that there's like banger after banger after banger (laughs) and it is like for me as like who's you know frequently been the white dude in the car blasting (laughs) blasting rap and like rapping along um it's like pretty pretty fun to see (laughs) for me um and, but that's like, that's it. Like, it, it they don't really, uh, kind of like judges really continue to, uh, actually comment on it at all. Yeah, he never really
0: pulls at that thread.
2: I mean, I feel like we could probably do like a three and a half hour podcast on white dudes in hip hop alone. <laughs> There's a lot of thread to entangle, you know. Dan only likes Tyler, the creator's, like, later records. That's the only record he likes. (laughs) I've I've gone through serious mourning as Kanye has come out as an anti-Semite, although apparently, like, he likes Jews again because of Jonah Hill and 21. (laughs) So so shout out that. I can keep telling Buell, my beautiful dark Twisted Fantasies, and my favorite album of all time. But, like, you know, there's definitely something to unravel there, but I don't think the movie is very astute about it.
3: What a legacy that Jonah Hill has, though. Right? <laughs> That's
2: yeah, that. homeboy. Homeboy swallowed a live goldfish in The Wolf of Wall Street. Like, what more can you
0: ask? Like, for? he goes, he goes from making stupid ass, mo- like stoner comedies with his friends as a teenager to yeah, now he's solved the Jewish question.
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, don't <laughs> you don't you disparage super bad like that? The funniest <laughs> movie of the 21st century. This is actually a a semi funny. So I showed that movie to my youngest brother, who's ten years younger than me, who's twenty. Somehow I'm twenty nine again for the second year in a row. It's weird, but like, (laughs) I I showed him that movie, and he didn't like it because he thought it was like sexist and disparaging towards women. And I was like, first of all, shut up, nerd. Like, Superbad is one of the funniest movies ever made. In his defense, he did think the drawing of the dicks was funny, which, I mean.
0: Well, of course, because it is.
2: It is, you know, working on a big, veiny bastard. Anyway, Superbad, much funnier movie than Office Space is the point. But anyway, total tantrum there. <laughs>
0: um, so, yeah, uh, yeah music in Office Space, uh, crack that egg, just got it.
2: It would have been better if Michael Sarah had, had to sing that that one random song in in one scene.
3: <laughs> what if he would have
2: just like like just
3: completely wilded it out to some NWA in that scene, <laughs> just crushed it the way that Michael Bolton crushes it in Office Space? Like, how different would that scenario have played out?
2: If they asked Michael Sarah to rap, damn it, it, feels good to be a gangster. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and, like, not censor watch himself that. at
2: all. <laughs> oh. Just drop in the word. Yeah. I mean, it'd be
0: a fun day on Twitter. I mean, Michael's hair is <laughs> whiter than I am, and that's difficult to do. I can't imagine being... I can't
3: imagine there'd be anyone else that'd be less comfortable watching <laughs> do that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: fabulous. Maybe, like... Jared Kushner? I was about to say, that's, that's a funny power <laughs> ranking. White dudes, I would feel most uncomfortable hearing them say the N-word.
2: Bro, Jared Kushner's hitting the double R, dude. He's, hitting, he's saying the R so hard.
0: He's going to start rolling the R's at the end?
2: Yeah, for real. <laughs> he's saying the N-word when the N-word is not even in this song.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Terrifying.
3: Um. Wait. So. So. Well. I I need to clear this up, Dan. You. You. You seem to like hip hop and rap music more than. uh, More. More than a little bit.
0: Right. The. The joke is that I don't like. I only really started listening to rap and hip hop when I was like twenty-two. I see. Okay. He also
2: he likes very white boy rap like Run the Jewels. Yeah, definitely. Which I also love. Run the Jewels. ASAP. Rock. Like. Fucking MF doom, like shit like that. He doesn't like like Nigos. No, not so much.
3: Oh yeah, you're from you're from the the Midwest.
0: You like yeah, that you, the, good you boy, like, the good boy the good boy. I like liberal arts rap, okay. Do you like Chief Geef? Chief Keef from I Chicago. Mean, he's yeah, he's fun. It's a good time. Gucci man. Yeah, Gucci <laughs> man. I don't
2: he's, think he's, he's from, from Atlanta. I love. I mean, I love Gucci Mane. I also, you know, I'm from the dirty south. I like all rap, <laughs> rap, and Phoebe Bridgers. That's what I listen to.
3: Oh man, that that boy genius album that just came out is fucking amazing.
2: I need to give it more of an in depth listen. Does that make me the perfect podcaster? Only <laughs> only listening to rap and Phoebe Bridgers.
0: Yeah, you are covering a lot of bases right there. Oh. I think it does. I, yeah.
3: Oh man! So I, w- one thing that we try to do, and uh, I feel like we're we're getting there, is every week we try to make some sort of connection or kind of relationship between last week's movie and this week's movie. So I'm going to put put Jackson on the spot. Jackson, h- how is Office Space like first reformed?
2: Yeah, you know, both got banger soundtracks. Nah, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, there's there's certainly something in first reform about kind of the banality of work and not finding fulfillment in your job, which is interesting. Although first reform, it's it's like a calling, right? So Ethan Hawke's character, whose name I don't remember, is certainly feels called to be a priest like it's it's a spiritual thing for him it's not just like the drudgery of a job but there's certainly something there about him feeling unfulfilled and feeling like his work as a priest is doing nothing in terms of the spiritual nourishment of his congregation or moving the needle in the world you know he's preaching to like six people at a time and it feels like he's just not contributing which i think definitely translates to office space in which none of these people think that they're doing a job that they were called to do or are doing anything other than just like moving a few numbers around so that would be i guess my first point of connection in the movies
3: in office space they actually burn the fucking building down (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah there's a key difference that's yeah. True. yeah, shit he... does actually blow up in office
2: space. <laughs> yeah, I think office space would have been somewhat improved if Peter had wrapped himself in barbed wire.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Flagellated himself and then made out with Amanda Seyfried.
2: Yeah, like, why are you such a pussy, Peter?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, for being put on a spot, that's quite an astute connection there, Jackson. Thanks. Yeah. Shout out
2: Buffalo Trace.
0: um mine's kind of similar to his in a way um but I was thinking there's like a there's like a class dynamic in both of them where you can see you know the small church versus the mega church and the mega like the kind of Christianity the mega church preaches compared to the sort of Christianity that's being taught by Ethan Hawke's smaller church and you see uh that sort of like antagonism between like the managers and the workers at the, the tech place and um and, yeah, and both of them, it seems like the tensions are uh, just, like, perpetually always fraying. And, like, eventually it's going to break and something's going to snap. And sometimes things blow up. Mm. I think it's
2: good. I also think, just to shout out the class differences, one of the better jokes in office space is Bill Lundberg's Porsche having a vanity plate that says, my
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh. um,
3: They both... They both treat their female characters like pretty, uh, pr- not not poorly, but just like very one dimensionally. Like they kind of just are plot movers, or um, just kind of like steps in one direction or another for the uh, for the lead characters. Um, like, in fact, both of them like just end up being the the kind of the, the voice of morality in in the main characters' heads. Like they're they're both kind of the reason that. They decide to kind of not do the the radical thing that they're you know all, they're you know already you know in the process of doing, but other than that, like not not really uh, not really like a, a like a great amount of their their own sort of uh,
2: agency or, or, or lens. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm higher on first one than you guys appear to be, but. I do agree that Seyfried's character is mainly just a vehicle for Hawke's character's redemption. There's a lot of agency in the film. And as we discussed previously, honestly, I like Jennifer Aniston a lot, but her character is woefully underwritten. Yeah, She's yeah. there. Yeah. Really to be a conquest for, for the Peter character. Yeah, good for Peter, you know? Yeah, good for Peter. Everyone would love would love to have mid nineties Jennifer Aniston. I'm sure. <laughs>
4: yeah, uh, no,
0: no complaints. So, what do we what do we got for our some uh, recommendations? If you uh, if you enjoyed Office Space, you want a little bit more of Office Space. Where else can you go? Um, I'm going to have to go to
3: TV again personally. Um, uh, so, actually, two shows. that I would point out in relation to this one i have after having watched this show when it was on last year and now re-watching office space i'm i think i'm pretty well convinced that the idea from the show came directly from office space so uh there's a there's a scene in office space where uh peter's getting hypnotized and he asks the hypnotist can you just zonk me out
2: I thought like, the can exact you, same thing. Can you just, can you, uh, can, you just oh.
3: can you just can you just like make it so I don't remember being at work? And yeah, uh, yeah. And so uh, you can see where I'm going with this. Uh, <laughs> Severance on Apple TV is literally that premise, but uh, explored all the way. And uh, but and I think it has just like a much much sharper edge of talking about the same thing, like the, the monotony the monotony of the uh, corporate worker drone and the the idea where your purpose is just draining little by little by little by little every day, except in severance, it's, it's, com- it's severed. It's completely cut off, like all sense of purpose really for, for, uh, for the characters is taken from, you know, like taken all the way down to zero, right. While they're, while they're severed, while they're in and working. Mm-hmm. So it kind of takes, it takes the same, same conceit, but dials it all the way up enough for it to be more compelling as as a work of satire because it does have that all the way fantastical embellishment of the real. And I think uh again there's a couple parts in office space where they there's a little bit of a reach for that or there's like the absurdity begins but uh uh it's it's a half measure compared to severance's full measure for sure.
2: Mm. I'm I'm with you. I fucking love severance. <laughs> I thought it was an incredible show especially as someone I it's that one definitely hit way closer to home. as like a corporate peon. Some of the stuff in Severance, like the waffle party and things like that. And um, gosh, <laughs> the what's bullshit this, jobs, bullshit nah. jobs. What's what's the supervisor's name? The uh, Jack gentleman with the afro. What what is his name in the movie? Oh, I don't or remember. The, I don't either. But whoever that is, I'm sure we can pull it up on IMDb. But he felt like incredibly true to like what supervisors are in real life. Like that, like affability that like barely hides disdain. Yeah. Um, Mr. Milchick. Milchick. Yes. I I thought Milchick especially was excellent. Um, Yeah. I think I actually recommended Severance and Dan, but yeah, I think Severance is like borderline masterpiece status. And I think that's a fantastic comparison. Um, I think my recommendation would be, I would like to echo one of Dan's Rules of the Game. Great movie. I'll let him talk of it. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. But um, kind of keeping it in the Euro art house, it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with office space, but in terms of being a really good satire of capitalism, I think Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie is excellent. Uh, And it it really kind of nails the class divide and the venality of the upper classes as well as just the the sort of like power struggles that are so banal um and also frankly i think discreet trump and the bourgeoisie is also it's hilarious like it, it's much funnier than office space so that would be a good one there's also an incredible joke in the movie metropolitan where one of the upper class characters said i, I finally watched this movie that i thought I thought got it, like understood what we were about, called The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, but it was just another movie making fun of us.
4: It's mm. so, a good one. <laughs> but I,
0: I got a few other too, but we'll go around the horn. Um, yeah, one, I'll, I'll, uh, Jackson, I'll let you take rules of the game since you'll have a little more passion on it than me, but my, uh, my other recommendation would be uh, Sorry to Bother You, which mm. is a similar premise to Office Space, like really not that far off, just the drudgery of being – uh, telemarketer, but it, instead of just focusing on just their position within corporate America, it adds more like general class and race and, um, and how they're, they all kind of swirl together and, and get ex- like one exploits off the other one. And the, uh, it's also just more fucking bat chick crazy. That's a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it like we're off a of space maybe Pulls up a little bit. Uh, sorry to bother you. Hits the gas.
2: Yeah, I like that movie too. I think the first hour is excellent. It goes a little off the rails at the end for me, but it definitely has more teeth.
3: I like it when it goes off the rails. I would never spoil <laughs> that for anyone that's going to watch it. Yeah, but I, I love it. I would love it when it go. I make it when it goes off the rails, that's where I. Uh, yeah, that, that's where it, it differentiates itself. Is in the last like twenty minutes.
2: That's when I went from good to great. Yeah, Dudes, Riley has a new TV show coming out And the next. I know time, it's like the something thir- 13 foot man, or,
0: or yeah, no, it's, it's, like, I'm, it's like it's I'm like a I'm a warrior, Virgo or something, or
2: yeah, I'm a Virgo. Yeah, that's it. I had the wrong for zodiac sign. Sorry to all my <laughs> astrology girlies.
3: <laughs> um. My, I'm going to cheat a little bit, and my second recommendation is the same movie I recommended last week, which is Falling Down. Oh,
2: that whole word. <laughs>
3: yeah. Uh, Falling Down is exactly... Uh, it, it's equal parts First Reformed and Office Space. It kind of deals with the same... Uh, you know, just uh, the... Uh, it's like you know the white guy snaps right like against his uh, his mundane you know loop that his life is on and uh, you know he starts to like, like see cracks in it cracks in it his personal life and then it just you know goes ballistic uh, you know kind of similar to Office Space in that way and uh, but also the the I, I think Falling Down is one of the most direct descendants of. Paul Schrader's early work. I mean, first reformed is like definitely like another taxi driver itself, but like Mm -hmm. falling down is like really like another taxi driver. (laughs) Um, But if like Michael Bolton from this movie is the guy that snaps and and turns (laughs) into Travis Bickle.
4: Hell yeah.
2: So Dan pitched rules of the game to me. So I'll break that one down along with another recommendation. And then I have one more. Um, Rules of the game is, to me, it's by far the best class satire that's ever been made. Um, it's set in 1939, so there's still like a defined between the ar- aristocracy. And made and the in 1939, class. right? Yep. It made in 1939, yep. Um, it is genuinely laugh-out-loud hilarious throughout the whole film. It's really smart about class and sort of the lack of accountability of the aristocracy at the time. Um, as well as being a really smart sexual comedy as well as the, as the French are fond of. Um, it's really just an incredible film, highly recommend watching. It's one of the few movies that gets better every time you watch it. It's got one of the greatest lines of all time. It's, uh, it's the horrible thing about life. Everyone has their reasons. Um, it lands, I think it still lands almost 100 years later as is, is a really accurate depiction of uh, the travails of the have and have-nots. And then the other one that I would throw out there is actually being like a pretty effective satire of capitalism. I honestly, like kind of think Anchorman is... Um, I know it's like an absurdist film that doesn't really hang together from a plot standpoint, but I, I do think there's some kind of astute stuff in there about celebrity and class divide and and uh, things of that nature that work a little bit. Uh, I don't know if Anchorman's really setting out to say anything, but maybe <laughs> it's by accident.
3: I don't know. I mean, you like... Adam McKay, as he moved further through his career, he really kind of blended the the, at least the energy of like his early comedies with just like very direct commentary, right? Yeah, like very direct social commentary and just like um, big like big problems, big ideas, like big big topics. Um, So I, I I don't know. I don't think Anchorman is like quite that far removed. From, from yeah. his more
2: recent stuff, I mean, I I do think Anchorman's a little bit smarter movie than his last couple films. Like <laughs> I watched Vice, which
1: wasn't
2: I didn't hate, which I know it was somewhat divisive. Uh, it was a good reminder that actually the Bush Cheney years were way worse than you remembered. <laughs> but I, I do think Anchorman was maybe a little bit smarter about societal ills, as crazy as that is to say. What you got, well, Dan? yeah,
0: you got. You have uh, a third there, Dan. Oh a th- no, I got. I mean, uh, I let Jackson take over for my recommendation. Sure, yeah, 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 it's um, just,
4: uh, yeah.
0: Anchorman and Office Space. Yeah, that's a that's a funny connection. Yeah.
2: The only other one I would throw out there, um, I do think this movie is a little overrated, and I don't want to literally me this shit, but <laughs> I do think Fight Club is somewhat of an interesting compare oh, yeah. in terms of like capitalism and we don't have to go too long on it and destruction of society and all they that came out on the same year didn't they
3: This and, oh yeah, fight club and yeah, fight Space.
2: Yeah, yeah 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 i know i mean i also think fight club is straight up just a very entertaining watch as well
3: yeah i mean people i mean i feel like people dunk on fight club just because it was like such a gateway to like serious movies for like mm-hmm. so many people our age, right? Like, and yeah. like it, it's just it's just been like it's just one of those where it's like so ubiquitous with like so many like, um, you know, like honestly, like, like film bros online, yeah. like like Water. it's so like it's become like so ubiquitous with online film bros and like people kind of just like make that association Mm -hmm. um but no fight club's a very entertaining watch but i i i will say i don't like it quite as much as i did when i was like 14 15 but uh i still really like fight club
2: yeah i totally agree fight clubs like probably like number five or six in my david fincher rankings and i think it suffers a little bit like you said from the same problem as like Rick and Morty and that like the fan is so fucking annoying that like you don't want to admit that you like Fight Club or you don't want to admit that you like Rick and Morty or whatever because the association is negative but that doesn't mean it's not so an excellent movie and it's not like the diamond sharp satire of capitalism that people want, want it to be like honestly like There Will Be Blood is a much better movie about the same subject but doesn't mean it's not so fun
0: yeah, it is funny. Where uh, with movies like that, that they like their reputation kind of precedes them now. Even if you like, you know, I watched the movie just because I was in college and that's what you do. And I didn't like realize until later on that like, oh, the, this movie is like the meme and the literally me movie. And then it's like it's hard to watch it without that context in the back of your mind anymore. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really
2: until like Reddit blew up. <laughs> like it started to have that context really like when i watched it for the first time when i was like similar age to jared like 14 15 like nobody i knew had seen fight club like you know it wasn't like till like 10 years later that it started to have that reputation yeah i was
3: properly obsessed with fight club when i first saw it though
2: like
3: <laughs> i read the book a couple times like in mm-hmm. a row uh after after like the movie like stopped getting me quite as high i like like of course like moved on to the novel and literally finished it and then just read it again i liked sure. it so much i haven't seen fight club in quite a while though i would i would like to take a you know like give it a more critical lens see see what what i think of it if i'm like trying to poke holes now
2: mm-hmm. yeah. uh... What's what's the favorite venture movie?
3: Probably the social network or seven. Uh, I don't really it understand. it kind of it I think I fluctuate between the two. I think the one that I, I would probably go back to like the most frequently is seven. Yeah, I think I think seven's my number one and the, the social network is behind that.
2: Yeah, my number one with the bullet is Zodiac. I, I think Zodiac is a straight-up masterpiece. I also really, really, really love Gone Girl. Mm. And then Seven would probably clock in behind that. So
0: mine's, mine's a weird one, and I don't know why. It's just got a really warm, soft, special place in my heart. If you say my fucking heart. Benjamin Button. I'm going to say Benj- Benjamin oh Button. Oh, my God. I love Damn, that Benjamin movie You so fucking much. heretic. If so Benjamin
2: much. Button's
0: your favorite Fincher movie? <laughs> have you seen zodiac have you seen zodiac? i have i've seen them all and it's it's all benny boy me and benny i'm not i'm not the zodiac and if i was <laughs> i certainly wouldn't tell you yeah bro uh, you need can... you need to rewatch watch benjamin Button. I, I i i cannot deny who i am
3: I, I thought you were gonna say that he needs to re-watch zodiac <laughs> No, but, like uh, I love that you went for the throat. at all. like, you
2: need to like understand how bad it is. Like, if you watch ben- I mean, I I like the movie. Like, it's not a bad movie. But like, if you watch Benjamin Button like three times and you still think it's like a four and a half five star movie, like, there's something wrong with you at that point.
0: Hey, if loving Benny is wrong, then I don't want to be right, right? Um.
3: I have a, I have a like a similar take that really gets people <laughs> going crazy on me. Oh, I hate me. Uh, that is in the same vein here, but I think the best Martin Scorsese movie is Hugo. Hugo, Jared, that might be the worst take I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> you need to watch Hugo. You need to watch Hugo. I've seen Hugo. Uh, I like. You need Hugo to see
2: it lot, again. But if you, you see it again, fucking Goodfellas, like you the fucking, it's <laughs> like. Not to be a basic bitch, but like Goodfellas is one of the b- <laughs> best movies ever made.
0: It's good meat and potatoes kind of movie.
2: Uh something about Hugo just just
3: really fucking did it for me. I it might have been whatever like drugs I was on when I was watching it though, but I remember thinking <laughs> there's like a scene where you're watching the people watch like a train arrives at the station.
2: Yeah, the Melius yeah,
3: yeah. And but it's in like in real life when you're watching hugo it's in 3d so they like really use the 3d to make the train like kind of come out come out of the come out of the the screen the way that you know the people might have felt like watching watching that in uh what like 19 or like 1898 or something yeah Uh, i I forget um but they tried to like emulate that feeling and like kind of get you to like be in their shoes and uh i i remember that scene the whole, the whole rest of the time I was thinking like, that's the level of like love for the cinema that's in this movie. And so then like the rest of the movie, it was just like one of those moments after one of those moments, just like going through kind of early film history and, and uh, making it feel relatable to like my, my like 23 year old modern sensibility in 2011 when that came out. Um, Yeah. So uh, yeah, I love that movie. It's, it's like one of the best, like, Just like fantastical love letters to the cinema by like one of the greats, like you know, by someone who
2: like loves it more than we do. Oh yeah, I mean, just like hop on Cartoon and look at like Scorsese's World Cinema Collection. Mm, Yeah, like yeah, Thor Ragnarok and yeah, but like just go go watch. Just go watch Goodfellas again, and then watch you go again, and then come back to me and <laughs> like yeah, to you know, do, one you, of the this movies ever. You do the same. I, I <laughs> Honestly, I will. I'd never miss an excuse to watch Goodfellas again. That movie's anyway, three hours long, and I've seen it like ten times. All that, all that to
3: say is that's how you sound, Dan. When you say that the Curious Case of Benjamin <laughs> Button is your favorite David Fincher movie, because. <laughs> he has other movies
2: right
0: yes he does but none of them got my heart like benny boy
2: i honestly wonder like dan do i have any take on like a big time director that i have a pick that's not one of their like considered a heretical pick best films like my favorite spielberg is the raiders of the lost ark like no one's arguing with that my favorite score says he's good fellas venture zodiac paul thomas anderson's there'll be blood Wes Anderson is Ten Bombs. Like
3: I feel like there's there's more there's the love is spread more thinly on Wes Anderson movies though. Like Ten Bomb's yeah. not everyone's favorite Wes Anderson movie by a long shot, right?
2: No. People no. like Rushmore, people like Grand Budapest. I if you said your favorite Wes Anderson movie is like Darjeeling Limited, I think people or like, would
0: like Isle of Dogs.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
2: But there's like four or three Wes Anderson movies that if you said are your favorite movie, people wouldn't be that sketched out by. I don't think. <laughs>
3: right. Yeah. I don't. I, I. wouldn't say like sketched out by Royal Tenenbaums. It's just not. It's like I think most people would agree on Goodfellas, right? Um, I think I'd say that like
2: Goodfellas, Taxi Driver, and Raging Bull would be the three. Yeah. But Goodfellas would probably be the most popular, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What about, like, Coen Brothers? Like, is there a consensus number one pick? I feel
3: like Fargo might be it.
2: Lebowski. Lebowski. My favorite is Fargo. Lebowski might be. Fargo's my favorite.
3: Yeah, I think it actually is fairly split between Lebowski and Fargo, though.
2: I think there's, like, a little more hipster pick is Miller's Crossing, which is (laughs) also great. Um. Some people would take No Country, which is also great.
3: Uh, Coppola's hard because you've got Godfather and Godfather Part Two.
2: My favorite.
3: I think I I might even go Apocalypse Now.
2: Yeah, I would percent go Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now is one of my ten favorite movies of all time.
3: But do you think it's generally considered better than
2: The Godfather? No, I would say The Godfather is probably... Would be the most picked. I like Godfather Two better than Godfather. I know that's like a pretty hot debate, but I do think Apocalypse Now is better than both. There's nothing Ooh. in Godfather as good as the, as the Charlie don't surf scene.
4: Hmm. Um.
3: We're we've we've talked. I don't know if we've done it on, like actually in an episode, but Dan and I have talked like a couple times about doing like a whole series on just Heart of Darkness adaptations. Oh, um, and do Apocalypse Now and Aguirre the Wrath of God and The New World and Valhalla Rising and uh, a couple others that are just kind of similar. Yeah. I'd, I would... folks, folks mosey down a river and go crazy together <laughs> in search of this, <laughs> this, this thing or this person.
2: I love Apocalypse. I love Aguirre. I think that's also an incredible movie. I haven't seen Valhalla Rising.
3: If you... If you like both A the Wrath of God and especially Apocalypse and Apocalypse Now, I think oh, Hollow Rising has a similar vibe.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen it either. Let's check it out.
3: That's my favorite uh,
2: Reffin film, like by far.
4: Hmm.
0: Hmm. Yeah,
2: I'm not a I'm not a crazy about Reffin person. I mean, I I liked to drive when I saw it, but it's definitely one that has like diminished upon rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> what about? Speaking of ref and adjacent material, the news is there's a new True Detective season coming out. Where do you guys stand on on True Detective? Huh?
3: Curious. Um, now, the first season. I just, yeah, I like oh, it. Well, I think the first season of True Detective is like so monumentally good that even though like like the third season is is way better than the second, it's still like not enough to get me. Completely jazzed about a fourth season, just considering like how high of a peak that first season was. I didn't hate the second season that that badly. Uh, the third one was like legitimately good, but still kind of paled in comparison to the Matthew McConaughey, Woody Harrelson
4: mm-hmm. banger. Yeah.
3: But, oh, I mean, Jodie Foster being in a you know a, de- a detective in a serial killer drama definitely uh, piques my interest.
2: You know, she's got a good track record in that regard. Yeah, 100%. I, I mean, I, I, I did actually like the second season. I mean, it's like, frankly, it's just not, it's not good. Like, I, I just happen to enjoy that sort of like California noir type shit. Mm. And the first season, the performances are incredible. Carrie Joji Fukunaga directs the shit out of it. I didn't make it through the third season. I mean, I thought my Herschel was great, but it really like kind of paced slow for me. But. I'm curious to see it's got a new showrunner. So I'm curious to see what happens.
3: All right. So, um, we can, uh, we can end just kind of the, the general thoughts with, uh, one last director who only is now on his third film. But, uh, I, I do feel like one day people will have you having this conversation and someone's going to, uh, you know, drop that their favorite Ari Aster film is "Bo is Afraid," and like, <laughs> be like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> um, I haven't seen it yet, but the uh, the so far the um, the the response is like really extreme. Hmm. A lot of people that that hate "Bo is Afraid," and there's a lot of people that really fucking love it. But next week we're going to be doing "Bo is Afraid," and so I guess my last question is: "Midsummer or Hereditary?"
0: I, I lean Midsummer. I don't know. It's just more of my jam.
3: See, that's already crazy to me. On, what mean, you,
2: I'm, be, be, I'm between
3: with, Midsummer and Hereditary.
2: I'm with Dan. I think Midsummer is much superior to Hereditary. Uh, Florence Pugh's performance, um, I think it has a little bit more to say than Hereditary. I think the sort of like trauma porn of Hereditary has been explored before. I do think Hereditary is scarier than Midsommar. I would say Hereditary is about wow. as scared as I've ever been in a movie theater. Um, genuinely terrified. And But I, I do think Midsommar is a superior film. I don't know if I'm a Jewish and or Oedipal enough to really fuck with Bo's Afraid, but I'm interested in what's going on. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, I th- I think Tony Collette's performance in Hereditary, like, completely tips the scales to Hereditary.
2: You think like Tony Collette is better in Hereditary than Florence Pugh is in Midsommar? By a lot, yeah. Hmm. Really, 100%. I would go the total other
0: direction. Where do you land, Dan? I I, uh, I see what you're saying about Tony Collette. Yeah, I think I would. I don't know. I, I, I think it's just say. it's just a little too historic for
2: me. I mean, I think she's really good. I think she deserved an Oscar nomination, but I think Pew's one of the best horror movie performances I've ever seen.
3: Wow. That is that is <laughs> heaps of praise. Um yeah. I, I haven't seen Midsumar like as often as as I've seen Hereditary. I think I watched Midsumar twice, and Hereditary, it's like it is every so often that I'm watching it. Hmm. Maybe, maybe I need to uh Maybe I need to dig a little bit more more deeply. You know, I haven't seen the director's cut. I haven't um, either.
2: Um, I don't think I have either. It's like yeah. uh, my... Well, Dan knows her. I, I do movie stuff on the side, and the girl who directs the things that I write, she watched it. We actually... There is... I don't know if this is really like matters for the podcast, so feel free to cut it out. But Pawel Progrowski, who does the cinematography for um, the last three Ari Aster films, so all the films he made, was in town. He's shooting a movie with Nicole Kidman, and he introduced Bo's Afraid at um, Belmont. Oh. Or Belcourt, rather. And uh, this girl that I'm friends with has a Midsommar tattoo. And she showed the cinematographer, and he took a picture and sent it to Ari Aster.
3: That's <laughs> awesome.
2: Yeah, it was highlighter for a year for sure. <laughs> it's a weird small world, right there. Yeah, very random. Anyway,
3: uh, Ari Aster I... is funny as fuck. In in like real life, when he's when he's being interviewed, when he's on Reddit, when he's doing videos, like the Criterion Closet video that we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier, he is legitimately like. Just can't stop cracking wise. Like well, and he, and even usually, his movies usually
2: are funny at, at times. No, I totally agree. I think I think his movies is like, I would say Midsommar is definitely funnier than than oh my, the,
0: *The Happy Birthday* scene cracks me up. Yeah. <laughs> but like he talks about his movies
2: as being like perverted comedies. Like I mean, I feel like this is not a new observation, but I definitely feel like Aster's like kind of in lineage Bergman in terms of being like kind of a tragedian with like a sense of humor whose movies happen to be really scary, but like Astor when he made hereditary he was interviewed by um one of my favorite podcasters, Sean Financey on the big picture. Shout out Sean. Uh <laughs> two hours into this podcast. he <laughs> it to him. But uh he, like, seemed surprised by how scary Hereditary was. He was like, I didn't realize this movie was that scary. Which seems crazy to me that you could watch a cut of Hereditary and be like, that <laughs> would scary as shit. So I, I, I don't know if, like, that's really what he's interested in as much. But anyway.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see if, like, films in the future are, like, toned down on the horror. And it's, Do you guys? Like, more drama comes forth. Do y'all prefer Disappointment Boulevard
2: or Bo's Afraid for the title? I um, did like
0: Disappointment Boulevard. That was a fun title.
3: Disappointment Boulevard never really, never really caught my ear that much. I think uh, Bo's Afraid is a little bit more. Uh, it's 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 a little bit more unique. Like Disappointment Boulevard sounds like it could be a PTA movie
4: mm,
2: or. What if it was Bo's Afraid of his mom? <laughs> <laughs> that uh I like Bo's Afraid. Bo's Afraid <laughs> just kind of is like punchy to me. Mm-hmm. I I, I kind of like Disappointment Boulevard, but I agree that it is somewhat more generic.
3: All right. Well, yeah. well, that
2: does it for this week for concessions. I'm Jared. I'm Dan. Jackson, it's awesome to have you. Let's do this I'm again. Jackson. Yeah, invite <laughs> invite me back whenever. I'm always down. I can buy a new bottle of Buffalo Trace next weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I,
3: and like I'll be way less high. Like I'm like very fucking high right now.
2: That's probably why you said Hugo was Scorsese's best movie. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: was really fucking high when I saw Hugo.
2: <laughs> That's it. It just like made the it, Yeah, the evidence is overwhelming. Your yeah, favorite? You no,
3: know, it, it's all starting to connect.
2: <laughs> your favorite James Cameron movies? Piranha Two. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, definitely Terminator Two.
2: Like easily, Aliens. Aliens. All right, boys. Well, invite me back whenever you want.
0: I'm always here for it. Neat.
2: Hell
0: well, yeah. I think we've we've already signed ourselves out, so we can just uh, get on out of here. Deuces. <laughs> Ah. Oh
3: Jackson left
1: Damn it feels good to be a gangster A real gangsta ass nigga plays his cards right A real gangsta ass nigga never runs his fucking mouth Cause real gangsta ass niggas don't start fights And niggas always got a hot cap Showing all his boys I we shot him. But real gangsta ass niggas don't flex nuts. Cause real gangsta ass niggas know they got him. And everything's cool in the mind of a gangster. Cause gangsta ass niggas think deep. Up 365, I yo, 24 samples. Real gangsta ass niggas don't sleep. And all I gotta say to you, wannabe, want to be cocksucker, pussy, pranksters. Is when the fire dies down, what the fuck you gonna do? Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. <laughs> Gangster, feeding the poor and helping out with their bills Although I was born in Jamaica, now I'm in the U.S. making deals Damn, it feels good to be a gangster, I mean one that you don't really know Riding around town in a drop-top Benz, sitting switches in my black '64. Now gangster-ass niggas come in all shapes and colors Some got killed in the past, but this gangster here was a smart one started living for the lord and i last now all
0: i gotta say to you wanna be gonna be pussy and cocksucking pranksters when
1: the shit jumps off what the fuck you gonna do damn it feels good to be a gangster Gangster, a real gangster ass nigga knows the play. The real gangster ass niggas get the flies of the bitches. Ask that gangster ass nigga little shit and The bitches look at gangster ass niggas like a stop sign and play the role of little miss sweet. But catch the bitch all alone, get the digits, take it out and end up hitting her ass with the meat. Cause gangster ass niggas be the game players, and everything's quiet in the clique a gangsta ass nigga pulls the trigger and his partners in the posse ain't telling off shit Real gangsta ass niggas don't talk much All you hear is the black from the gun blast And real gangsta ass niggas don't run for shit It's real gangsta ass niggas can't run fast Now when you in the free talking shit, you the shit Hit the pin and let a motherfucker shank you. But niggas like myself kick back and peep game Cause damn it feels good to be a gangster